going through the life of Jacob. And uh, last time we saw the power of idolatry. Idolatry is the sin beneath all sin. Because what idolatry is, is it's looking to anything or anyone to give my heart the joy and satisfaction that only God can give. Our heart was made for God, to know him, to love him. And uh, that's why for, for Jacob, Rachel was more than just Rachel. That was an obsession. And, you know, we could, we could turn right now to the next chapter, uh, G- Genesis 30. And you look at the first verse of Genesis 30. And it says, when Rachel now saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children. She became jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. And we could have the whole same sermon again. Because here's Rachel now, the beautiful one, the desirable one, saying, give me kids or I'll die. And again, we see full-blown idolatry. Because now she's saying, if I can only have kids, then I'll be happy. In fact, I'll tell you how this story goes. She finally gets what her heart wants. She has a son. She names him Joseph. You know what Joseph means? More. (laughs) Give me more. Okay? It's not enough. Because this is how it is with our idols. Once we get it, it's like... It's never enough. We always want more. We always need more. And I love what Tim Keller has to say. I don't care what your Rachel is in the morning. It will always, always be Leah. And I'll tell you what's sad about Rachel. And I'm just going to do this as as kind of introductory. We're not going to study this today. But the beautiful one never gets healed. She never gets to the point where, like her sister, she can say, this time, this time I will praise the Lord. Because when she has her second child, she names him Ben-Onai, which means son of my shame. Then she dies, and that's her life. And some of you, too, will go to your death having your whole life controlled by an idol. Worship is the only remedy of our idolatry. Worship. Shema Israel, Adonai Elohehu, Adonai Echad. Love him with all your heart, all your soul, all your might, all your strength. All right, our text today, though, is going to be Genesis 32. And I just, before we read this, I want to set this thing up a little bit because now it's time for Jacob to go home. And it's been 20 years since he left his home, his father, his brother. He's lived 20 years in a faraway country. And I want us to remember that when Jacob left home the first time, there's this little biblical clause used to describe Jacob's life at this time. It's this clause, the sun had set. Because the sun had set on Jacob's life. His life was dark. His life was bleak. His life was hopeless. He had made a complete mess of his life. Yet, what happens during these 20 years away from home? Jacob meets God. 
Jacob becomes a man. Jacob prospers. He has two wives. He has 11 sons. He has a daughter. The 12th son, which will be the final tribe, is in Rachel's tummy. He's been incredibly successful. He's amassed great wealth. And now it's time. God says in Genesis 31, in verse 3 and 13, he says, return, Jacob. In fact, the word return in the original language, does anyone want to take a shot at what this is? Shuv. Shuv is the Hebrew word for repent. Teshuvah is their word for repentance. So it's time for Jacob not just to return, but to repent. Because what Jacob hasn't done and what he needs to do is he needs to go home and he needs to make everything right. He needs to make his relationships right. Now, what's interesting, I don't know if you guys got the slides, so I don't know if I can show this, but you can look. Do you actually have it? Okay, I, I, I want to show you something here. Um, Jacob's coming from Haran, which is way up north off the, the, the PowerPoint slide. He's going down to Jerusalem. Esau's in the land of Edom. He doesn't have to go through Esau. He could so easily just go right home without ever having to face Esau. But what I, what, what I want you to see here is this is not just Jacob going home. This is Jacob repenting. This is Jacob facing his sin, facing the consequences of his sin. He needs to face Esau. You can turn that slide off. And for some of you, it's time for you to go home. It is time for you to face you, to face your sin, to face the consequences of your sin. Because that's what repentance is. And it requires reconciliation, restoration at the deepest levels. Okay, now, with that being said, let's read our text today. Stand for the reading of God's word. Genesis 32, found in the very beginning of your Bible. I'm going to start reading at verse 22. That night Jacob got up and he took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford at the Jabbok. And after he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, the man being the stranger, the him being Jacob, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was, was, was smashed, was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Because you have struggled with God and with humans and have won. 
And Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, you know my name. And then he blessed him there. And so Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. And the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. This is God's word. You can be seated. This is one of the most amazing stories in the Bible for me, and yet also one of the most mysterious. I want to start with the story itself. As I already mentioned, Jacob has to do probably the most difficult thing in his life. He has to face his brother Esau. In fact, you don't see this in your, in your English translation, um, but the word that is most used in this whole chapter is the word face. Because the longing of Jacob's heart is to see Esau's face. In fact, verse 20, I'll, I'll show you. We didn't read this verse, but this is how this should literally read. Jacob says, I'll wipe the hatred from his face with the gift that goes ahead of my face. And afterwards, perhaps when I see his face, he will lift up my face. He's just so longing for his big brother to love him, to accept him, to forgive him. And he wants to see that written all over Esau's face. And so, the other thing you need to know is this, that Jacob is scared out of his mind. Because the last time he saw Esau, Esau wanted to rip his head off. So, we didn't read this part, but Jacob, first of all, sends messengers to Esau. And the messengers come back and said, all right, Esau is up for this. In fact, he's coming with 400 men. 400 men in that day would be considered an army, a large army. So that's why in verses 7 and 10, we see that Jacob is almost paralyzed with fear. He's scared that he's going to be wiped from the face of the earth. Now, even though Jacob has the beginnings of a relationship with God, Jacob is still Jacob. The guy is sneaky. The guy knows how to control and manipulate situations. He knows how to take matters into his own hands. And he knows how to win. He can take any situation, I don't care what the odds are, and win. I mean, he, he, he did it in, with his brother. He won the, the birthright. He did it with his dad. He won the blessing. He does it with Laban. He won Laban's wives and much of Laban's wealth. The guy knows how to win. So here he is, and I didn't read all of this, but I'll tell you what he does. First, using all his resources, taking everything into his own hands, being in control, he divides all his possessions into two camps. Why? Well, if Esau attacks one, he'll get away with the other scot-free. Second, Jacob sends not one, not two, but three 
waves of gifts. Each wave consists of hundreds of animals. A total of 500 animals in all. Now, animals probably mean nothing to you. But this would be the equivalent of hundreds of thousands of dollars. And see, he's doing this to just somehow try to appease his brother. He's going to win. In fact, each time when, when the gift arrives, it comes with a servant who says this to Esau. To my lord Esau, from your slave, your brother, your slave, Jacob. Okay, now it's the eve before the big showdown. Jacob comes to the Jabbok River. Once Jacob crosses this river, that means the point of no return. There's no turning back. So Jacob does one more thing that we read about at the start of our text today. And this is so Jacob. He's probably just sleeping there and thinking, no, no, I got to do one more thing. He sends all of his remaining possessions, even his own family, his wives, his children, across the river. Why? I'll tell you why. Because if his brother attacks, he now has a buffer. Not only is he protected by the river, but he's also protected by his family, his wives, and children. And I want us to see this is the kind of guy that Jacob is. He's going to do anything to win. Anything so that his life is spared. And so I see Jacob after he gets everything across the river. Going back to a safe spot on the other side of the river. Still maybe with the sounds of the sheep and the goats off in the distance. And there he is. Alone. In the dark. Kind of like when he left 20 years before at Bethel, when he puts his head on that stone. It reminds me of the poem, faces along the bar cling to their average day. The lights must never go out. The music must always play, lest we know who we are, lost in a haunted wood, children afraid of the dark, who've never been happy nor good. And this is Jacob. His whole life, he's clung to his idols. He's lost. He's afraid. And he's never been happy. And he's never been good. It's in this darkness that this mysterious figure (laughs) descends, jumps him. And the text is just real brief here. It says, and they fight. They fight through the whole night. Neither can overcome the other. Now, I don't know if you've ever wrestled. Right now, if, if, if I had to wrestle like one of you guys, I don't want to be sexist, one of you gals, and I'd never do that, of course. <laughs> Five minutes of wrestling, I'd be done. Because you're using every muscle in your body. These two are wrestling The whole night. Now, I think at first Jacob thinks this is Esau. Or maybe this is one of Esau's Navy SEALs that have just kind of covertly come and found him. Okay? But see, as they wrestle, Jacob comes to understand this is no mere man. This wrestling match has been going on his whole life. 
It's at this point, it's at this place where Jacob's life is finally touched by God, where Jacob is forever changed by God, where Jacob becomes a new man. That's why he calls this place Peniel, face of God, because he says, here I've seen the face of God, and yet my life was spared. In fact, that word spared in Hebrew is also translated many times delivered. Here's where Jacob is delivered. And I love verse 31. You have to love the narrator here, how he is just brilliant. He says, and now the sun rose upon Jacob. The sun is no longer setting on Jacob. The sun is rising upon Jacob. It says the sun now rose upon Jacob as he crossed over because his life has now crossed over. He's been touched by God. He's seen the face of God. And the sun now rises on his life. And he's delivered. He's changed permanently. Okay, here's my question. As you read this, Have you met God? You. Have you met him? Can you say today, yes, I've met him. I've been touched by him. And my life has been completely changed. Can you say that? Because I think this text teaches us how we can know if we've really been touched by God. If our lives have really been changed by God. Because that's what God is in the business of doing. Changing us. Transforming us. Touching us. Healing us. Has he done that to you? This text teaches us how we can know that. Verse 24 is the first thing. It says, Jacob is alone. And I'm convinced that God needs to get us alone because having a life-changing encounter with the, with the living God, it's intensely personal. To be a Christian. In fact, I'm not throwing out the word Christian. I like the word. We're, 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 we're going to re- try to redeem that word here. But to be a Christian, it's not cultural, it's not social. To be a Christian is intensely personal. It is me and God, and God in me. And we say, while it doesn't stop there, while it's it's not just God and me and me and God, that it has a lot to do with my relationship with the world, it starts me and God, God in me. And I know some of you are thinking, wait a second, I thought just weeks ago that you said um, the place where we meet God is in his house. It's in his community. Yes, God is here. I'm all for community. God dwells in a community. He speaks in and through a community. We know him through community. But I was thinking about this this week, especially in a place like Crossroads where you are surrounded by so many people who have been touched by God, whose lives have been changed by God, who are filled with God. There's this danger of confusing what's going on around you with what's actually going on in you or lack thereof. 
I mean, a person here could easily get swept away by the emotion of it all. And they could just kind of piggyback on someone else's walk to the point where you never seek to develop your own intimate, personal walk with him. See, God needs to penetrate you. God's word needs to penetrate you. God's spirit and God's Christ, it needs to penetrate you. This is why Jacob wrestles with God and why God wrestles with Jacob. And see, Jacob has been a wrestler his whole life. He wrestles Esau in his mother's womb. He's wrestling as he's born. He wrestles his brother for the birthright. He wrestles his dad for the blessing. He wrestles Laban for his daughters and for much of his wealth. The guy has become good. He knows how to outwit people. He's clever. He knows how to connive and manipulate all situations. The guy flat out knows how to win. And I'm going to tell you something about Jacob. Up until this point, his heart has gotten everything his heart has wanted. The birthright, the blessing, the girl... Rachel, money, possessions, a big prosperous life. Yet look at him. He's still crying out. Bless me. Bless me. He's desperate. Hear me on this. Despair. And despair has all kinds of forms, boredom, depression, Despair does not come from being weary of too much suffering and hardship. Despair comes from being weary of getting everything your heart has always wanted. Did you hear that? Because, see, when we finally get what our hearts want, we only need more of it. And then still more. And then still more. And then we try the next thing. And then the next thing. And then the next thing. Because whatever that thing is, at first it thrills us. And it satisfies us. But over time, we have to hit the button of that thing harder, harder, harder. Faster, faster, faster. Only to find that it delivers less and less and less. Until eventually we are utterly bored with that thing. And not too far around the corner comes despair. And that, my friends, is Jacob. And that is the culture and the world we live. How many times you hear people say, especially our youth today, I'm bored. Bored? Yes, of course they're bored. They're getting everything their heart wants. Why wouldn't they be bored? And I'm telling you, for a lot of them, it's not just boredom. Despair is right around the corner. And don't you dare limit that to our youth, because I'm telling you, there are so many adults here who are bored out of their minds, who are despairing. You know why? Because we live in a culture where we get whatever our hearts want. And see, so you know what God does when He really cares? He taps in. And he says, now it's my turn. It's my turn to wrestle. And see, while we all wrestle, and I hope you can just identify this morning, even with wrestling, with, 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 with battling, 
Because yes, we, 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 we struggle against each other. We struggle against even those we love. We struggle to find our place in this world. We struggle to find ourselves. We struggle to find that one true love. We struggle to find meaning and purpose to our lives. We also struggle against those spiritual forces. And those forces are real. And they are out to destroy us. But listen, I think maybe our biggest struggle, our biggest wrestling match is with God. We wrestle with God. In fact, the way that you, you, you know that you've met with God and that your life is being changed by a real God, by the real Lord of the universe, is God's going to wrestle with you. And see, here's what I find funny today. Spirituality is in. Go to the bookstores. Read the magazines. Watch TV. Spirituality is in. Having a higher power who will bring us to this place of peace, tranquility, where our lives are centered. Yet when God comes to Jacob, God smashes him and cripples him. And this isn't some just warm, fuzzy experience. It's struggle. See, this is how you know that the God you possess or the God who possesses you is not just a God of your own making. He's going to come in. He's going to rearrange things. He's going to reorder things. He's going to push you. He's going to push things in. He's going to push things out. He's going to push against the things that need pushing against. Even in your aloneness, in your most personal places, If you're living a sexually permissive life, he's going to push. If your life is consumed with money and possessions, he's going to push. And if he doesn't, you haven't met him. If you're a bad steward of your time, he's going to push. If you're a Jacob and... And going through life just controlling and and being clever and trying to manipulate so you can get everything you want. He's going to mess with that. He's going to mess. And so you might not like God intruding into your personal life. But this is how you know you're dealing with a real God. And not just a God who you've made up in your mind who just conforms with all your likes and dislikes. Because we are made by God in his image to conform to him. And he will wrestle with us and sometimes wreck us because he loves us, because he wants to make us just like him. Now I'll tell you the part that is quite amazing to me. Jacob wrestles back. And it's not just that Jacob wrestles back, but that God is fine with Jacob wrestling back. I mean, God allows it. God loves it. You know how I know he loves it? Because when God finally changes him, which is representative of God giving him a new name, God gives a new name when he gives new heart and new life, God names him. 
Israel. Now think about this. Do you know what Israel means? Fights with God. God fighter. Not only that, but God then says, I'm going to name my people, not the Abrahamites or the Jacobites. I'm going to call them the Israelites, a people who fight with me. And so you're like, What's, why does God like that? Listen, when God names them the Israelites, he's saying, struggle with me. Because God knows more than even we know what we are. We're dust. We're fallen. We can't see the A to Z. We only see just a little speck. And it's from our perspective. God can handle pushback. And see, I think we've been taught that it's irreverent to push back on God. That it's irreverent to question God or be upset with God. Or to be confused or hurt by God. But listen, I can attest to this in my own marriage. Struggle means relationship. Struggle means that we care. Struggle means that we need help. Help me. Struggle means humility. God, I don't have you all figured out. God, I don't have all the answers. Help me. I mean, think about Abraham. Abraham actually has the guts to say to God when he finds out about Sodom and Gomorrah, how dare you, God? That's pushback. Or what about Moses? When God says, I am so frustrated with that people, I'm going to wipe them off the face of the earth. You know what Moses says? You wipe them from the face of the earth and you'll be embarrassment. You'll be a complete embarrassment to all the other nations. That's pushback. All the greats push back. See, God wrestles with Jacob because he wants to take possession of Jacob's life. And that's why he's going to wrestle with you. Now, something happens to Jacob in the wrestling. He goes from Jacob to Israel because he's transformed. Also, his earthly worldly, narcissistic, carnal striving is, with, is replaced with a new kind of striving. The ultimate striving. That striving for God. See, Jacob goes from wrestling against God to wrestling to get God. I'm not going to let you go. How does this happen? Well, it happens through wrestling. And see, what's really interesting, when you read it closely, I believe it's uh, verse 25 when it describes how this stranger is being overpowered. (laughs) Jacob is actually winning. And it's something that Jacob has gotten really good at. But here's the deal. This isn't just any stranger. And see, as the dawn is about to break, in verse 25... It says the stranger doesn't, bam. The Hebrew there is just, boop. Just just a mere touch. With a mere touch, Jacob is lying crippled and helpless. 
And see, I think it's at this moment that Jacob realizes that this stranger has been holding back enormous power. And it's at this moment. Oh, God. I'm wrestling with God. That's why he asked the stranger, What's, what, tell me your name. And the stranger basically says, why do you ask? You know my name. He's face to face with God. And this is why the stranger says in, in verse 26, okay, the sun's coming up. You don't want to see me when the sun is up. You need to let me go because no one can see the face of God and live. But for the first time in Jacob's life, Jacob has in his arms what his heart has always longed for. And I think for the first time, his inner emptiness, that hole inside of him that's the size of the Grand Canyon, it's filled with something truly satisfying. That these are the arms his wounded heart has always longed for. This is the face that brings him the joy of all joys. And Jacob clings. And he says, I will not let you go. Because here Jacob is crying out for what his heart really has been crying out his whole life. Bless me. Bless me. Bless me. And this, this, this bless me is no longer the cry of his heart for his dad to, to love him and accept him. It's no longer the cry of his heart to win. It's no longer the cry of his heart to be the firstborn son. It's no longer the cry of his heart to get Rachel. Bless me. Bless me. I will not let you go until you bless me. This is Jacob's heart cry for God. God, I want you. I I finally found it. I'm not going to let you go. I don't care if the sun's rising. I don't care if it kills me. Though you slay me, I will still hold on. Does that describe your heart to God? Because if it doesn't, you haven't met him. You haven't seen him. You haven't been touched by him. I don't care that all your life you believe in him or all your life you obey him or all your life you go to church. Do you love him? Shema? With all your heart? See, Jacob, his whole life has been leveraging God to get the things Jacob wants. He now goes from leveraging God to loving him. He's been using God his whole life as a means to Jacob's ends. 
Now he's just worshiping him. Jacob finally has the blessing. And the blessing is God. It's the presence of God. It's the face of God. David will say, one thing, one thing does my heart seeks, that I may dwell in the presence of the Lord and seek his face. That's it. I'm going to tell you the only way you learn this is through losing. The only way you learn this, the only way you get this is through weakness. See, Jacob has to admit weakness. See, the stranger will ask him, what is your name? Who are you, Jacob? In fact, this is the same question his father asked him years ago when he came in posing as his brother Esau. Who are you, Jacob? Who are you really behind the label, behind the image, behind all the dressing up? Who are you, Jacob? And Jacob, for the first time, is willing to acknowledge who he is. I am Jacob. In other words, I'm a fake, I'm a phony, I'm a cheat. And a stranger says, now that you have acknowledged who you are, I'm going to touch you. And you are no longer Jacob. You've been touched by God. You are Israel. And see, you and I will never get a new name. We'll never get a new heart. We'll never get the new life unless we can admit weakness. Have you acknowledged who you are? Or are you like Jacob? Are you still, still dressing up? I remember a couple of weeks ago, I'm getting off the page here. Wade Vuktavine was up here. Dedicating his child. And I talked about it with him before this. But I took liberty to just undress his past right in that moment. And it was so amazing to watch you as Wade talked about his story. And you guys were like, how dare you do that? Or talk about that in church? What do you mean? How dare we show weakness and talk about it? And open ourselves up. You haven't been touched yet if you're still doing that. But even more than admitting weakness, God needs to make you weak. Jacob needs to be utterly defeated. He needs to be broken. God needs to cripple Jacob for life. And it's through this that Jacob actually wins. He wins everything that his heart always wanted. He wins it through losing. He wins by being utterly defeated, where he has a permanent lip. And I love what Martin Lloyd-Jones says about this text. He, He asks the question, how do you know you have met with God? Answer, you limp. You know you've met with God when you limp. You've been hurt. You've been broken by God. Have you met with God? Has he changed you? Do you limp? 
Has he wounded you? Has he made you weak? See, this is God's way. I didn't take it off the printer this morning. Shoot. It's such a great... But that's okay. Have you been made weak? See, because not, not only does Jacob win by losing, the God of the universe triumphs through losing. Look at how God has to wrestle with Jacob. Let me ask it from this vantage point. Have you ever asked yourself, how much does God weigh? See, the Hebrew word for weight is kavod. We translate kavod glory. It's the weight of glory. Because the more weighty something is, the more glorious it is. The more glorious something is, the more weighty it is. The weight of God's glory should have crushed Jacob. But I'll tell you, God in this moment didn't crush Jacob because God gave up his glory. God gave up his power. And God becomes a mere man. Who's Jacob wrestling with? Jesus. He's wrestling with Jesus. He has Jesus in his arms. He has Jesus' face before his face. And see, hundreds of years after this wrestling match, Jesus is going to descend again. And again, he's going to give up his glory. And again, he's going to become weak. And all God's glory, all God's weight, that should have crushed Jacob, that should crush us, it's going to be placed on Jesus. It's going to crush him. So that you and I, we just get the tap. The wounds of a friend, the wounds of his grace. See, on the cross, in utter weakness and defeat, Jesus wins. And Jesus is not only winning over losing, but he's winning through losing. He's not just triumphing over defeat, but he's triumphing through defeat. And I love what Frederick Buechner says. He says, this is called the magnificent defeat. Have you met him? Do you know him? Do you love him? You come to him in your weakness. You meet him in his weakness. And when you do, the sun will rise on your life. And you'll know him. Let's pray. God, I just pray that you would continue, Lord, to wrestle with me and wrestle with us. 
Lord, the worst form of punishment, the worst form of your judgment is that you would actually give up on us. And you just let us go our way. But I pray that you would be the God of Jacob to us. That you would wrestle with us. And that as you wrestle with us, you'd give us a new name and a new heart and a new life. In Jesus' name.